excited to be in Romans chapter 4. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. I think you guys should probably stand. You've already been sitting for a while. So stand with me. This is the seventh ending stretch. Hit the person next to you. Go ahead. You can do it. Ask them if they've had their coffee, if they're awake this morning. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you as your people, as your sons, your daughters. We thank you that you save us by grace through faith. We ask that that truth would resonate in our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, we we welcome you here. Would you bless this time in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The end of Romans chapter 3 is the glorious gem of the gospel that we're saved by faith through grace. We're justified freely by God's grace. If you remember, there was three words that we focused on. Justification, to be declared righteous. Redeemed, where we're bought with the blood of Jesus. Propitiation, where the wrath of God has been appeased. Now Paul shows us an illustration from the Old Testament how God's plan was always to save us by faith through grace. Because the logical question to Romans chapter 3 would be, it's too good to be true. Really, we don't contribute to our salvation. It's not done through our good works. We believe and, and we're saved, especially for the Jews, especially for those with the background of the law. So God is showing us how Both Abraham and David were right with God through faith. And for the nation of Israel, there were no greater heroes than Abraham and David. Join me in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? This phrase, this question, what then shall we say, is used six times in the book of Romans. And this is the first time. And the question is, Abraham our father... Was he right with God according to the flesh or according to works? And Abraham was a great man, a godly man, but not a perfect man. He lied twice about Sarah being his wife, was concerned that she would be taken from him because she was so beautiful and says, let's go into this new town and just pretend that you're my, my sister. Ladies, try that on for size, right? And he did that to Sarah twice. He also... Had sexual relationship with Hagar, his wife's handmaiden, probably the biggest mistake of of his life that really affected his family and, and generations to come. So a godly man, but not a perfect man. And as we'll read, he was right with God through faith, not through his works. Verse two, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham was justified by his works, then he would have something to boast about before the Lord. Here's the key verse, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? We've always got to go back to the scripture. What does the Bible say? The authority is God's word. So Paul asks this question, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. This is a quote from Genesis chapter 15. It's at the point in Abraham's life when he's just rescued his nephew Lot. Has a conversation with God. God says to him, I'm your exceeding great reward. 
And Abraham, in essence, is saying, God, that's great, but I still don't have a child. I don't have an heir. I don't have anyone to, to pass all of this blessing on to. Am I going to simply pass this on to my servant? God says, Abraham, you're going to have descendants that are going to be like the stars of the sky. The message, your, your descendants are going to be so many that you won't even be able to count them. And through the nation and through your descendants, the nations will be blessed. Ultimately fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus coming from the lineage of Abraham. And Abraham, amazingly, believed God. He believed that God was able to give him a child, but not only give him a child, but cause his descendants to be as many as the stars of the sky. That through his descendants that the nations would, would be blessed. And God looked at Abraham based on his faith and said, because you've believed, then I account it to righteousness. The word accounted means credited. God literally put righteousness to his account. No matter you know, how you, you feel, there's a lot of different opinions on the government stimulus, but as you went through 2020, for most of us, all of a sudden, something was credited to our account. We're like, what in, the, what in the world, where did this come from, right? How much more so where God chooses to put righteousness towards Abraham's account, where God puts righteousness towards our account when we believe in the Lord. He was accounted righteousness through his faith. Now, verse four, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Now, is it a gracious gift when you receive your paycheck every couple of weeks? Is it is it your, your boss, the, the owner, giving you a, a benevolent uh, gift that, that is given? No, you've earned it, and it's right for you to expect that, that paycheck. Well, God doesn't save us according to our works. He's not a debtor to anyone. It's not that we've worked according to the law, and then God says, here's salvation. He saves us by grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited uh, favor. In verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This is so powerful. This is God working the plan of salvation. Salvation comes not to the person who works, but the one who believes. Believes on who? On him. Faith is only as good as the object that you place it in. And our faith is secure because it's placed in the Lord. I was reading a commentary this week and the commentator was, was saying that when his son was young, he would hop up on the top of the refrigerator and hide out up there and then jump on his dad. And the dad was saying that he really wasn't a good object of his son's faith. Like sometimes he wasn't strong enough to catch his son when he was surprised in, in that manner. But his son saw dad to be worthy. Like, like dad's going to hold me on this, and so I, I will jump on him. I wouldn't have believed that story till I had a son, right? We've got three girls and, and a boy. That, that, that's totally classic for, for boys uh, to do. And we're putting our faith, we're putting our trust on God, and God is a trustworthy object of our faith who believes on him, then God justifies the ungodly. He declares the ungodly to be righteous it's counted to their account as righteousness. Verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness 
of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So not only Abraham, but also David. David writes about how blessed it is to be forgiven by God's grace. In verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. This comes from Psalms 32. We're going to study Psalms 32 in depth on Wednesday night. David, at this point in his life, has committed adultery with Bathsheba, has murdered Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, covered his tracks. God exposes him. He repents and receives God's forgiveness. God forgives his sins. Now, according to the law, David should have been killed out of justice, capital punishment. That was the punishment for adultery. That was the punishment for murder. He was guilty on two accounts. But instead, the Lord forgave him. Why did God forgive David? Based on his grace and his mercy. And when David experiences the forgiveness of God, he says, Blessed are those whose deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The the grace of God. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. There's no greater joy than knowing that your sins are forgiven. Amen? There's no greater joy. For those that know Christ as our Savior, when you trusted Christ and had the realization that my sins are forgiven, that that weight is lifted. If you're wrestling and wondering about trusting Christ for salvation, the result of trusting the gospel is you'll receive forgiveness of sins. No amount of money, no amount of accomplishments, no amount of of pleasure, Nothing in this world can lift the weight of sin except for the blood of Jesus. And when the weight of sin is lifted from our lives, when we know that we know that, that we're forgiven, man, we're blessed. We're blessed. There's that peace that we have with God because the blood of Jesus has removed our sin. Verse 9, but this blessedness then come upon the uncircumcised only or upon Excuse me, but does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? So is it just the Jews? Is it just the Jews that are saved by faith through grace or also the Gentiles, the uncircumcised? Now remember, for the Jews, they felt that their relationship with God hinged on circumcision. That in order to be right with God, they had to be circumcised. It was hard for them to imagine someone who's uncircumcised could be right with God. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So, was Abraham circumcised in Genesis chapter 15 when he believed and God accounted it for righteousness? And the answer is no. He did not get circumcised for some time later. We don't know how old he was in Genesis 15, but a few chapters later when Ishmael was born, the product of his relationship with Hagar, his wife's handmaiden, he was 86. The scripture uh, tells us that. Then when Ishmael was 13 years old is when Abraham and Ishmael, as well as his servants, were circumcised. That means that Abraham got circumcised at 99 years old. Circumcision didn't make him right with God. So here the nation of Israel is looking to Abraham as an example, and God is clearly showing it's through faith, not through circumcision, that we're made right with God. So what's the purpose of circumcision? Verse 11, 
And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. So circumcision was a sign or a seal. It was an outward action that represented Abraham's relationship with God, but it's not what saved him. Very similar to baptism for us. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's this outward confession of our faith. So righteousness comes to the circumcised and the uncircumcised the same way through faith. And as we trust in faith, righteousness is imputed. Righteousness is put to our account. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision, to those not only of circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So, Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. From his descendants came the nation of Israel. Eventually from his line came Jacob, and then from Jacob the twelve tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel was birthed. But also to Gentiles. Most of us are probably Gentiles, meaning that we're not uh, Jewish. Abraham's our father. Well, how so? Because of faith. We're walking in the steps of Abraham to believe God. And as we believe God, righteousness is imputed to our account. Verse 14. For if those who are of faith are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So if it's going to be through the law, through our works that we have a right relationship with God, then faith is canceled. Verse 15, because the law brings about wrath, for there is no law, there is no transgression. When there's a law, don't you just want to break it? I mean, come on, be honest, right? A couple weeks ago, Addie, our, our daughter, was at a track meet. And it was a large uh, track meet. And the rules are, is as a parent, you can't go down in the field. Like, that's just for coaches and players and all of that. And I was like, I'm breaking the rules. You're like, I'm going down there, right? And a lot of it was just because there was a rule. It's like, I want to break the rule. And sure enough, I got in trouble and had to apologize. And I stand before you as your pastor and a rule breaker, right? (laughs) Maybe some of you aren't like this, but... And I was like this from a young age. Like, here's the line, and it's like. And then what happens? You you get in trouble. Wrath comes. So, So the law brings about wrath. Don't think of a pink elephant. What are you doing right now? You're thinking of a pink elephant, right? The law brings wrath. The law brings a transgression. But the grace of God comes through Jesus Christ. In verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that we might be according to grace. Not the law, but grace. It's it's by faith that we trust in who Christ is, so it might be according to grace. And I love this. This is worth underlining in verse 16. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, the Gentile, who is the father of us all, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. How can we know that we have everlasting life? Only if we're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
If it's through works, how do you know you've done enough to be saved? You know, in talking with people that are a part of other religions, false religions, they're works-based. And so a good question to ask them is, how do you have assurance that when you die, you're going to go home to be with the Lord? And most of the time, they don't. They're like, well, I hope I've done enough. Well, I hope so too, right? What's so unique about the claims of Christ, the one true God, is that he offers salvation through his work, not our work. To where Jesus said, whoever believes on me should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe on Jesus, you know that you have everlasting life. You've got a reservation in heaven because the promise is sure because it's based on God's grace. It's based on his character and his nature. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. If you're taking notes, there's three things to learn about Abraham's faith this morning. And the first is, believe God does the impossible. I think there's two applications in the lesson of faith. One, to receive Christ as your Savior. If you need to trust Christ and be saved this morning. But also for us as believers. As believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's so important to continue to trust the Lord. It's impossible to please God without faith. Billy was talking about in worship, surrender. Surrendering our circumstances and even our struggles with sin to the Lord. That surrender is is faith. God calls us to that place of, of trusting him. And here, Abraham believed that God does the impossible, that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac, the promised child, was born. Sarah was, was 90 years old. And also, throughout their marriage and their intimacy together, Sarah was barren. Yet this whole time, they have this promise that they're going to have a child. Not to mention that Abram, that was his name before he was Abraham, means exalted father. That's a tough name to have when you don't have any kids. Hey, exalted father. Oh, I'm just going to hang my head again. Like, can you just call me Joe? I mean, that would be a lot easier. God speaks to Abram and says, your name's now going to be Abraham, father of many nations. So now he's going to his friends, his family members, saying, go ahead and just call me father of many nations. And by the way, I don't have any kids. So they're barren for all of these years, plus they're old. Sarah's past the age of physically having kids. Abraham's past the age of physically having kids. But he believed, Abraham believed, that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is another illustration of the gospel. Believing that God is the God of the resurrection, that God rose Jesus from the dead, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And that Jesus, being the God of the resurrection, brings life into our spiritual deadness. The scripture tells us that we're dead in our sins. That we're separated from God. And here Jesus comes and he's able to bring us back to life. God 
does the impossible. As we face situations in our lives, we need to remember that God is not limited. You may be struggling in your marriage and there is an element where aspects are dead. And you're wondering, can God bring life? Yes, absolutely, he can. He's wonderful at softening hearts and marriages and and restoring marriages. You may be struggling in a situation where there appears to be death and to believe that God is still working, that God is still present, that God is not limited. Oftentimes we limit God by our own lack of resources and our own lack of, of wisdom. I love verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Contrary in hope, yet in hope believed. Well, what's this all about? There's two different kinds of hope. There's a humanistic type of hope that's based on our experience, our logic, our common sense. We look at the situation and we go, this is hopeless. That's what Abraham and Sarah would naturally do because they're so old, because they've been barren all these years, we're not going to have kids. But yet Abraham, even though he had all of this information, according to knowledge, he had the promise of God. So he chose to believe in the second kind of hope, and that's the hope in God. And a hope in God is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on God's character. That God is good, that he does good, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose. So we choose to not look at all of human reasoning and we look at the character of God and we say, I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. In El Paso County, we have the highest suicide rate in the whole state of Colorado. And let that set in for a second. Of all of Colorado, we have the the highest suicide rate. Of all of the states in the United States, Colorado is the seventh highest for, for suicide. We're living in a hopeless city. If you talk to police officers and first responders, some of you are police officers and first responders, you know this all too well. They're responding to suicides all of the time right here in Colorado Springs. Doesn't even make the news. Hearts can easily get callous to it. It's really important for us to have hope in God, to not be hopeless. Important part of this is in Psalms 27. The psalmist says, unless I believed, I would have lost heart that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. As believers, we have an eternal hope of heaven, but we should also have a hope that God is working in this life. That doesn't mean that things always go our way, but what it does mean is I believe that in this life, I am going to see the goodness of God. As a believer so far, have you seen the goodness of God in your life? Do we have this assurance that the rest of this time on earth There may be difficulties, there may be things that I don't understand, but I'm going to see the goodness of God. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So I have an eternal hope, but I also have a hope in this life. Our hope for heaven should not cancel out our desire to live this life. 
The hope of heaven should make us want to invest in this life. Paul said that he longed to go to heaven, but he also longed to stay here on earth so that he could bear fruit, so that he could invest in people. And that's a healthy tension. Oh man, Lord, I, I can't wait to go home to be with you, but I also understand there's purpose in this life. So as long as you give me breath, I'm gonna continue to live. You're the one who's the author of this life. So, so contrary to hope, we continue to believe in hope. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith. Continue to trust in the Lord. Abraham wasn't weak in faith. And you may be saying this morning, man, but I so feel so weak in faith. Unfortunately, I'm having a hard time trusting the Lord. And so many in scripture did struggle in faith. Abraham's not one of them. But what do we do when we're weak in faith? Well, first we be honest with God. Because he's our father, he already knows. And he loves transparent and honest prayers. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Also, a practical way we can strengthen our faith is to be in God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Second aspect of Abraham's faith, he believed that God is bigger than weakness. Do you believe that God is bigger than weakness? And he calls us in our weakness for his glory. What Abraham realized is, I'm not in the equation. This isn't based upon my strengths and weaknesses. This is based upon God's character. So yes, we've been barren, and yes, we're too old, but God's able to do it. And oftentimes when it comes to the promises of God, I want to put my weakness into the equation. I want to put my performance in the equation, my failures into the equation. And what we need to do is, is look at God and go, God, you're able to do this. This is a really special section of scripture for me because Back in 2004 and into 2005, uh, the elders at the time of Rocky Mountain Calvary asked me to pray about and Amber to pray about if I would consider being one of the candidates to being the new lead pastor here at RMC. I was currently the, the youth pastor, I had come on staff in 2000 of, of February. When they asked me to pray about this, I was 27 years old, been married for four years, our daughter Hannah, she was 18 months old. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know what I didn't know, right? And there was so much inside of me that was saying, there's no way that I should consider this or ask to be considered for uh, this uh, position. But as Amber and I prayed, we really felt a call towards specifically Rocky Mountain Calvary and Colorado Springs. And God really burdened us for the city in a, in a new way. There was a shooting right at Flint Ridge and Academy, used to be a Denny's there. A young man was killed in the parking lot and his mom came to church here and she called and I got her on the phone and it was right during the season. She says, will you come down to the Denny's? My, my son's been killed and all of his friends are in the parking lot. And so Sean and I went over and God used that to really burden my heart uh, for, for the city. But there were two other guys that were being considered to be our senior pastor, and both of them were already senior pastors of large churches. So I didn't stand a chance from a human perspective. I was like, I don't even, I don't even know if I should put my, my name in. I was 
down on the other side of the church building, this hadn't been built yet, and we used to have a conference room over there, and the board of elders was in the conference room, and I was waiting for my turn to come in for the interview. My interview had been scheduled that day, and they just left me sitting out in the hall, and they were having a discussion with themselves. And like went 15 minutes passed, and a half hour passed, and an hour passed, and I could hear them talking. I mean, I'm just right outside the, the hall, and one of the, the board of elders, he says, you know, I really think that God is raising up a young leader. And you could hear the Holy Spirit just turning the meeting in a different direction. And they talked for so long, by the time I got in for my interview, several of the board of elders had to leave. And one of the elders, as he was leaving, grabs my shoulder and he says, you're going to be a great senior pastor. I, I haven't even interviewed. You know? Like... God just called me out of weakness. Uh, and there's still a lot of weakness in my life, and that weakness will never go away. And God, that's what God does. And as he's put calling on your life and promises in his word, don't factor yourself into the equation. Wonderful promises that God works all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That, that's not based on us. That's based on who God is. And so in faith to, to trust him and not see it through the lens of our weakness. In verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. We know that Sarah wavered, but Abraham didn't waver. He wasn't divided. He continued in faith to trust the promise of God. And as he trusts the promise of God, he was strengthened in faith. Underline that. You're going to be strengthened as you trust God. We can't control our circumstances. We don't know what God is doing. But it will affect how we go through that trial if we choose to trust the Lord. Gave God glory in faith. The last point on faith in verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Don't you love that? And being fully convinced that he who promised it is able to perform it. God is the one who's promised salvation through faith in the gospel. He's able to perform it. He's able to faithfully take us up to heaven. God is faithful to his promises. He has that ability to fulfill his word. So the third thing is that trust. Believe God is able to perform what he's promised. Go back to the word of God. Maybe it's a new exercise for you is to read the Bible while highlighting God's promises. Look for them. Maybe pick up a, a Bible promise book and get familiar with, with the promises of God. Maybe it's been a while since you focused on God's promises, his promise to give you Peace that passes understanding. His promise that he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. To give you a future and a hope. And, and hold on to those promises in faith regardless of what our emotions are telling us. I think a lot of times we give too much credence to our emotions when it comes to faith. There's sometimes where we feel it. We're like, God, you're able. A lot of times it's when we're worshiping. We're like, oh man, God is able. He's so good. He's the God of the resurrection. Then when we're alone at night trying to sleep, we're like, oh, God's abandoned me. I'm not feeling it, you know? And it's those times where our emotions are telling us that God is not trustworthy to say, wait a second, I know who God is based upon 
Jesus dying upon the cross. I know the character of my father, so I'm choosing to trust him regardless of my emotions. This is applied to all of us in verse 23 and 24. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So not just for Abraham, but for us. As we believe the promise of God, we're justified. We're declared righteous. Jesus was delivered up for our offenses. Application for us is look at the character of God. Look at the character of God this morning and determine that he's trustworthy. God, this is your character. This this is who you are. And so I'm choosing to trust you and realize that salvation comes into our lives through faith. It's by faith. It was true for Abraham. It's true for David. It's true for us. If we can trust God for our salvation, let's also trust him for the situations that we're going through. I know that all of us have at least a couple of things, if not more, that we're wrestling to trust God in. And some of it's very deep. It's very difficult. Some of it is maybe in this very topic of having children. Some of it's a relationship that's so, so difficult. For some, it's a health challenge. It's, it's core. Some of you have lost a loved one. You've buried a a loved one recently, buried a a close friend, and to choose to trust, and choose to trust, and choose to trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Would you stand with me, and let's pray together. Father, we want to be honest with you that sometimes we really do wrestle in unbelief. And you're trustworthy, but we struggle in trusting you. So God, would you help us? We believe, but help our unbelief. But also we choose to trust you. We choose to put these difficult situations in your hands. We see that we're saved by grace through faith. We live by faith. So right now, surrender these things to the Lord. What's the Holy Spirit putting on your heart? And choose to trust the Lord. Choose to put that difficulty in his hands. Quit trying to carry it on your own. Trying to solve it in our own reasoning. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.